episode of How in the Know, a podcast about sex work by sex workers for sex workers. I'm Selena, the seductress, and I am slowly going crazy out here all alone. So I'm going to call this episode Storytime with Selena. Imagine rainbows, waterfalls, breathing outside air, hugging a friend, and um, being hugged or any kind of social contact. Because it's time to chill and vibe while I read you some stories. However, before we dive into the uh, fiction slash literary portion of this, every episode we begin with a segment we call Historical Hose. And this week's Historical Ho is Wu Ten. Shout out to Lauren at Elsteads for the tip. So I got my info from an article in Smithsonian Mag called The Demonization of Empress Wu, um, some wiki, and uh, yeah, so I will include my sources in the description for this episode. So, Wu Zetian is one of the most written about female rulers in the world. Known for her cunning and brutality, she is often judged for her harshness rather than for her strategic, albeit Machiavellian, rise to power. Her family was from the Wenchui con- er, County, but where she was actually born is still debated. Regardless, she was born in 60, er, 624, there's not 16, it's just 624, to an affluent family. Her father was in the timber business, and her mother came from the powerful Yang family. She grew up with servants and was one of the minority of women of that time who was lucky enough to receive an education. She studied writing, literature, music, and governmental affairs, as all little girls should. At 14, she was apparently quite a beauty, and due to her family's high stature, she was selected to become one of Emperor Taizong's concubines. For context, the emperor was a solid 40-year-old man when he set his eyes upon his child escort. She went to live in the palace and joined the emperor's other concubines. She quickly rose through the ranks to become the fifth favorite, which was pretty good all considering. However, she did not bear the emperor any children. When he passed, the emperor was succeeded by his son, Li Ji known as Emperor Gaozong of Tang. He was born in 628 for context. And just to remind you, she was born in 624, so a much more reasonable age pairing. Now, there were rumors floating around that Wu and Emperor Gaozong had had an affair while his father, Emperor Taizong, was still alive. Now, traditionally, the former concubines of emperors were sent to live quiet monastic lives after their emperors passed. And this was to be Wu Zetan's fate, except for that she had um, an undercover relationship with Emperor Gaozong, with the now Emperor Gaozong. So he went to visit her at the Ganye Temple, and when he saw her, she was looking super bad, and by that I mean like a snack. Uh, She had a freshly shaved head and probably looked very fierce. So he wasn't put off that she was his father's former concubine. I mean, Wu and Emperor Gaozong were only four years apart. 
he decided to take her back to the palace as his concubine. Gaozong was only 21 when he took power, and he was kind of sickly in the way old-timey people were before modern medicine. Go figure. Meanwhile, his concubines and empress were plotting ways to gain more power and influence. In brief, Emperor Gaozong's official wife was Empress Wang, and his favorite concubine at that time, um, at the time that he picked up Wu, was Consort Zhao. Now, Empress Wang didn't have any children, but Consort Zhao had already given birth to three plausible heirs to the throne. Now, Wang didn't want Zhao to gain more to gain more power, so rumor has it that she encouraged Wu to get closer to Emperor Gaozong and steal his attention from Zhao. And this worked out. Too well, actually. Wu gave birth to two healthy boys and one girl who died under suspicious circumstances. I think actually in total she gave birth to three boys, but um, yeah. So anyway, so while this was going on, Empress Wang had convinced the emperor to select one of her relatives as his heir apparent because she couldn't, she couldn't bear her own children. But soon, Wang joined Zhao in falling out of favor with the emperor. Wu's daughter was said to have died from strangulation, um, but also the jury's out on that one. All they have to go off of are ancient accusations. Another plausible answer to this tragic death uh, is carbon monoxide poisoning from coal-burning fires. So, regardless of the truth, Wang accused, or sorry, Wu accused Wang of killing her daughter out of jealousy. Eyewitnesses confirmed that Wang had been seen near the baby princess's room the night of the murder, which was enough for Wu and the emperor to consider Wang guilty. Emperor Gaozong asked around to see if any of his noblemen would oppose him in deposing Wang from her title as empress, and a few of them spoke up, urging Emperor Gaozong against it. Of course, he brought back the whole story to Wu, who, like Arya Stark, wrote them into her mental hit list. Wu tried to win the noblemen to her cause, but to no avail, so Wu used creative problem-solving to get rid of her enemies. She started off by accusing Wang's mother of witchcraft and had her banned from the palace. She continued pressing her murder charge against Wang and managed to have Wang and Zhao both arrested and stripped of their titles. Emperor Gaozhang appointed Wu to her rightful position as empress, and she became a pivotal figure in his upcoming policy decisions. The noblemen who hadn't supported her were next or were her next targets. She would not allow disloyalty to continue unpunished. She accused them of, orchest of orchestrating a treasonous plot against the emperor. Now, Empress Wu convinced Emperor Gaozong to kill all of the traitors and strip them of their titles. She fucking killed all of them to show them who was boss. Mess with the bull, you get the horn sweaty. Emperor Gaozong's health problems worsened over time. He suffered from headaches and loss of vision, likely caused by hypertension in retrospect. When he was too sick to handle his imperial duties, he often handed off the job of decision-making to Empress Wu, 
who was shrewd and handled new responsibilities with surprising aptitude. She was so good at her job that it started to be concerning to Emperor Gaozong, who began plotting to have her deposed. But Empress Wu happened in on Emperor Gaozong and a scribe drafting her dismissal and pleaded her case. And as we've already seen, Wu was incredibly convincing, and Emperor Gaozong agreed to, ha to give her another chance. But you know who didn't get a, a second chance? That's right. She had the scribe and a number of his relatives accused of treason and exiled. A few were even put to death. Empress Wu's next agenda was to get her whole family promoted. All of them received titles and kingdom, and they had a very nice banquet to celebrate. A few of her cousins weren't too pleased with their new titles, however, and declared that Wu's rise to power wasn't respectable. Well, that didn't sit too well for her, as you might have imagined, and she had them exiled until they passed. Now, not long after, her sister also passed, and her daughter, uh, Wu's niece, was promoted to a titled position. She gained the attention of Emperor Gaozong, who, on the low, was interested in recruiting her to his concubinage, but was also high-key worried about how Empress Wu might react to that sort of thing. I mean, she might be cool with it, but by now you know that Empress Wu's displeasure most certainly spelled out your demise. So Empress Wu heard about Emperor Gaozong's interest in her niece, so she had the girl poisoned, of course, and blamed her niece's death on her treasonous cousins who, to clarify, were already in exile. Not even her own family was off-limits to her vengeance. Her nephew began to suspect that she was behind the murder of his cousin, and then she had him accused of an incestuous affair with his grandmother and a bunch of other stuff, which led to him being exiled and either murdered or encouraged to commit suicide. Now, all of this carnage went on for years. In 683, Emperor Gaozong died, leaving Empress Wu to essentially rule the kingdom as Empress Dowager while her sons were still kind of young. However, the first son chosen to, uh, you know, have the throne crossed her. The first heir wouldn't obey, so, of course, she had him removed, but not killed. She put her youngest and least independent thinking son in charge and ruled from behind him. She was said to have whispered orders, and her son, the emperor, would puppet her commands. During this time, she continued to have everyone who opposed her and their whole families exiled or slaughtered. It was a brutal reign, but in retrospect, not that much more brutal than any of the other previous reigns of emperors before her. But she was held to an especially high standard as an empress. She did, however, make time for fun. She had a slew of lovers during this period, a few of which she promoted to prestigious positions. I like to think of it as duality. On one side, getting freaky. On the other side, a paranoid reign of terror. She also convinced her citizens to start spying on each other and deliver the intel on traitors to her. 
She had police who wanted to ascend power, planting rumors of insurrection, which led to many people getting offed. Eventually, Empress Wu forced her son to yield the throne to her, and she became, officially, the head bench in charge of the empire. And by all accounts, while people weren't her biggest fan, she ruled pretty well. She appointed capable people to positions and ran her kingdom efficiently. But she had a lot of enemies. She had a lot of people trying to drain her of her energy. And Wu was not trying to have it. She had oodles of people ex executed. She fought off multiple coup attempts. She continued her infighting with her family, and she would fight the world off if she had to. And to be fair, she kind of had to. She was finally deposed in 705 by one of those coups, somewhat tragically orchestrated by one of her sons she'd exiled. She was dying of some unknown illness, or perhaps just old age. She was 80, um, you know, as most illnesses were back in the early days, unknown. And anyway, she didn't have the energy to fight any longer. For a while prior, she had been confined to her bedchambers, attended by the Zhang brothers, who were apparently having pretty nasty dirty sex with that then 80-year-old Wu. Uh, there's some quote about one of them having the face of an angel and the other having particular skills in the bedchamber. And um, I just want to sit with that and appreciate her vitality. But anyway, she was removed from her role as ruler, uh, but she kept her title until her death later that year. So Empress Wu has a giant stone memorial. However... Um, the, there's like a, you know, the thing that's supposed to recognize her is actually blank. Like the stone for it is uncarved. Um, and it's the only known uncarved memorial tablet in more than 2000 years of imperial history. Um, so there's a lot of kind of back and forth. They say that maybe some of what she did was kind of like mixed up with another empress. I think that there were only like two empresses, but I could be totally wrong about that. And I might have a corrections corner. Um, but anyway, so they say that maybe some of the history around her was uh, like the history of the previous empress was conflated with her history to make it seem like she was even worse. Like there's an example of, they said that she punished somebody by like drowning them by like cutting off their hands and feet so that they couldn't swim and stuff. But that was actually what the previous empress did. So did not do that. But anyway, so there is a useful quote from the Smithsonian article and it says, quote, it may be helpful to consider that there were in effect two empresses, the one who maintained a reign of terror over the innermost circles of the government and the one who ruled more benignly over 50 million Chinese commoners. So, um, yeah, it seems like she was mostly concerned with taking down the powerful people who were opposing her rule, which totally makes sense. Um, but the rest of the people just kind of had a chill experience of that time. And she was also supposedly influential in uh, supporting the Tang um, empire. So she kind of helped unite the people and she, uh, kind of took the religion of Buddhism 
and made it the largest religion of the time. So prior to that, it was like a combination of Confucianism and Taoism that were the greatest influence in the Tang realm. But then she switched it over to Buddhism. So that is the impressive story of concubine turned empress Wu Zetan. taking a little mental break because it has been impressively difficult to continue being productive during quarantine and i'm a huge skeptic of the word productivity and the value system around productivity i think it's just a capitalist tool that doesn't allow for humanity and fluctuations in our abilities and it does not it's just like deeply ableist to be real however for all of my disbelief in the structures that be, I am still beholden to it. So here I am being somewhat productive and I'm going to read you a story. I'm actually going to read you two stories. So get ready for more sounds of my voice saying words in the way that I do. (laughs) Okay, so one funny story and then one erotica story. And I hope you enjoy, and if you do enjoy, please let me know. Please comment. Um, I want to thank all of my Patreon subscribers for making this possible and for your continued support during this really difficult time. Um, It means so much, and I definitely have to do like a full shout-out of everybody who's recently joined because uh, we've got a lot of new members, and it's incredibly amazing. So thank you all so much. And uh, here we go. So this one is about Richard. Richard has been making more and more frequent appearances at the club recently, often looking tired, usually wearing the same purple-gray champion sweatsuit set. It took some time before he recognized me consistently, but now we've gotten to the point that we wave at each other and share a quick conversation. It's our BSE, Big Scorpio energy, I like to think. This time, I saw him speed walk across the club to the men's room. He was on the phone, with one hand clamped over his ear, the other pressing the phone against his temple with his elbows out. I moved to a spot by the bar because I knew Richard's migratory patterns. He ping-ponged around, trying to find a quiet spot in the club, but eventually ran outside. He reappeared after ten minutes and walked up to me. Finished with that urgent call? Him. What? Oh, yeah, I didn't even realize I was talking for so long until my arm went limp and died, so I told them I had to go. Me. I hate it when my arm falls asleep. So unnerving. Him. Tell me about it. Me. How are you? Good to see you. Him. Likewise. Let me think. When was the last time you saw me? Oh, I was a complete vampire. You must have thought I was a nutcase with my eyes half shut as as I flew into the night flapping my wings. Me. You had just eaten six dinners, so it was understandable. Him. Oh, that's right. Well, I did that again tonight, which is why I'm not feeling good. Me. Wow, again? Was it more four-course dining with sexy ladies? Him. I can't believe you remembered that. 
you've got a great memory. I should know because I've got a great memory too. It's amazing what I can recall from years and years and years ago. No, it wasn't fine dining this time, oddly enough. Let me show you a picture. He whips out his phone and opens to a picture of a large sushi platter. I'm famished. I haven't eaten anything solid all day and my period is about to start. All I can think about is how much I intend to eat at the end of my shift. Him. This is from a few days ago. This is the highest quality sushi you can get in LA. Me. Is it Nobu? Him. It's better than Nobu. That one's fatty salmon. It's falling apart because of the marbling. That one's pink Alaskan tuna. This is a crab roll with tempura flakes. You're supposed to roll it in it to make it a crunchy roll. He continued naming each of the rolls in his sushi platter as if I'd never eaten sushi before. Him. And that wasn't even the main dish. In Japan, there's the highest quality cows in the world. Every day, farmers massage their stomachs from the day they're born. Me. Are you talking about Kobe or Wagyu? Him. I'm surprised you know. Wagyu isn't as good quality. For Kobe beef to actually be Kobe, it has to come from Kobe. Then he explained Kobe beef to me. Even though I ate Kobe and Wagyu beef, respectively, in a traditional restaurant on tatami in Tokyo, served by two Japanese grandmas. But I didn't bring it up because Richard likes to explain things, especially fine dining. Wait a second, I have to show you something. He opens to a folder and plays the first file. It's a hot young woman sitting across from him at a restaurant, holding a little white ceramic syrup pitcher. In front of her is what looks like a white chocolate balloon on a plate. She starts pouring a hot raspberry syrup over the white chocolate balloon, and the chocolate melts to open to reveal a slice of cake in the center. Him. I've got so many of these. He does. He has ten more videos, shot from the same angle, each with a different hot young woman pouring raspberry syrup onto white chocolate balloons. Me. This could start a whole fetish community. Him. You think this is my fetish? Me. No, I was just saying, if you posted all of these, you could inspire a new fetish. What is this restaurant? Him. You know what? It doesn't even exist anymore. They went out of business. Me. Damn. That's so sad. Now I'll never get to try it. I don't know if it actually went out of business, or if Richard wanted to guard his secret date night spot, but I knew he wasn't telling me. One of the chefs in the kitchen glimpsed Richard and poked his head out to wave. Richard waved back. Him. I came here this morning for breakfast. Me. Again? Him. Did I tell you this already? Me. You mentioned it Tuesday when I saw you. Him. Wow. Nothing slips past you. Yes, I was here again for the... He looked at the, at the ceiling and started counting on his fingers. Him. 37th? 38th day in a row. Every morning I come in and order the same thing. Eggs, bacon, toast, potatoes. And every time Rico screws up the bacon. I don't want hard bacon. Me. You like chewy bacon? Him. I want bacon that isn't burned to a crisp. 
I tip him forty dollars and beg him, man, don't burn the bacon. I want to hire him to do some catering for these events I do. He wants to open up a catering company, but I can't hire the man if he can't cook bacon right. Me, you were here this morning, and now you're here, and it's almost midnight? Him, I know. I keep being drawn here like a moth to a flame or something. I can't explain why. Me, so you had breakfast here, then went to work, then ate six dinners, and now you're back? Him, I didn't exactly work. I don't consider what I do to be work exactly because I don't have to leave my house. It'll be two in the afternoon and I'll be walking around in a robe and pajama pants avoiding the mailman. I am working. I'll probably work until I die because that's what they tell you. As soon as you stop working, you die. Me. It's important to have purpose. Him. I was one of the first from-home workers, but today I didn't stay home. I had a bunch of errands, so I was running around all day. You want to know something annoying? Me. Always. Him. I complimented this woman on her jacket or something. I don't even remember at this point. And she was like, I wore this for my husband. I'm waiting for my husband. My husband is on his way. My husband is meeting me here. Husband, husband, husband. Like, I get it, lady. I wasn't even interested in her. I just liked her coat or whatever it was. And after she went on and on, I don't even like it anymore. It was like she was trying to cast out a demon. And of course, demon that I am, I transformed into a bat and escaped into the night, screeching with red eyes. Richard curled his fingers into claws and bared his teeth and then flapped his arm for emphasis. I mirrored him and made some bat noises. Me. Lightning was striking in the background while the woman and her husband screamed. Him, there you go, you got it. A few other dancers looked back at us, baring our teeth, screeching at each other. Him, I need to get a massage. Me, what kind of massage? He raised an eyebrow at me. Him, just the normal kind. Why, what kind do you like? The crazy Thai massage where you get a tiny Asian woman to walk on your back and twist you into a pretzel? Me. Well, I mean, there's various kinds of massages. There's Swedish, Shiatsu, Russian, Thai, Korean scrubs, hot stones, cupping, and a million other kinds. Him. I just get a normal one from a wellness spa in Santa Monica. I don't think massages should be too complicated. Me. I like Thai massages. Him. Have you seen the video of that 600-pound guy getting the Thai massage with, like, three little Thai women stepping on his back? It's like, pop, 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 pop. And then afterwards, he felt a lot better. Me. I've never gotten a Thai massage where they stepped on my back, but it sounds nice. I'm not against it. Him. What time is it? He looked down at his watch, then produced his wallet and handed me a couple 20s. Him. I feel like I've been taking up all your time. Me, nah, it's always great to see you. Him, likewise. Another girl came up behind his back and gave him a hug. Her, sorry babe, Richard and I go way back. Me, don't worry about it, everybody loves Richard.
I hope you enjoyed that story. And now for another story. This one of a completely different tone. I hope that you're ready to touch your genitals and enjoy this uh, particular erotic experience. I hope it's like ASMR erotica. I don't know. And I hope that you're not experiencing... um, What is the thing that they always say with female podcasters? It's like the... um, the screechy, the fuzz, the uh, 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 fry, vocal fry. That's it. That's it, chaboy. I hope that this is not all vocal fry for you. But you know what? I can't help my voice. And if you're upset about it, go fuck yourself. All right. So this erotic story is called Yosa. Victor smiled painfully. A vein over his eye pulsed, betraying his irritation. When in doubt, restart. Victor recited rote, folding his glasses into his shirt pocket. It was the third time that day that he had been called to solve a problem that boiled down to stupidity. And that was the nature of the occupation. And he was getting paid enough that he could suffer through several of these every day if they wanted to waste their money overpaying him to tell people to restart their computers, well, that was their prerogative. He peered down at his watch. Nearly six. Might as well wrap it up before anyone could catch him and wrangle him into writing some inane human error. It was raining when he stepped into his car. He neglected to bring an umbrella. His worn leather jacket hung from his shoulders, slick with rain. The collar of his button-down shirt was damp. He sighed, turning his keys to start the car. He began driving, his mind wandering from work to Giannina, to how he would spend Saturday helping Ed build his porch. Suddenly he looked up and realized where he was. Without realizing where he was going, he'd wound up at Vixen's. He frowned. He did not want this for himself, and yet there was nothing he wanted more for himself. He opened his wallet to count his money, even though he already knew exactly how much he had on hand. Earlier that day, he had stopped by a bank to withdraw $3,000. He was not putting down money on a car or rental. He was clearly not going out for an extravagant lunch. It was all about the build-up and planning, in a way. The anticipation of walking through those familiar doors and watching some of the most stunning women walk around completely nude. It didn't feel coarse. There was a poetry to their bodies. The way a shoulder sloped or a breast hung, the sensation of warm skin and sweat, fragrant fragrant and slick. It was impossible to evade at length, and he missed her. Her intelligent eyes, plump lips elegant hands, and the way she strode up to him and assessed him the first time. Was this mortal man worthy of her attention? Of course not. In no world, aside from here, would she have considered getting close to him. She was young and breathtaking. He was a man under the shadow of his own mortality. His life was self-denial for family, career, and status. He'd always done the right thing. He had married his grad school sweetheart, 
and together they had raised two well-adjusted young men. He played on a community soccer team and hosted neighborhood functions. Of course these things gave him pleasure. He cherished his family, but he hadn't made love to Giannina in years. It wasn't intentional. There was something he needed that he couldn't quite place. For years, he'd blamed it on a lack of blowjobs. He wanted to see Giannina's lips wrapped around his thick brown cock, but considered it more deeply. He realized it was more than that. Or maybe it was the lack of willingness to even venture there with him when he felt he had a lifetime of exploration left to do. But did the reasons matter? Vitor took a seat, a familiar warmth traveling up between his legs. He spotted her almost immediately, draped across another customer, facing away from him. Victor couldn't see her face, only the face of the man enjoying her luxurious attention. The man appeared utterly spellbound by Camilla, as was often the case. No one seemed immune to her beguiling charm. Victor knew this well enough, as he sat and watched, waiting for her to turn her magnetic attention to him. He, waited, he would have waited for hours if it was what she had wanted. He would have handed her all of the money in his wallet simply for a kiss. But he would never tell her that. She knew her power already, perhaps not the lengths to which he would go for her, not how little she could be doing and still keep him on his knees, willing to give her anything. Camilla turned, covertly checking the room in the midst of her conversation with the other man. Victor knew her. He knew how keenly aware she was of the goings-on behind her, even when she was turned away. She leaned in to whisper into the man's ear. She was making her sail. Vitor imagined her humid breath against him, the melodic tone of her voice, the way she would run her fingers through his hair as she negotiated her rates with him. Was it a soft sell or a hard sell? He was hard, and she was made of the softest things. Camilla stood and took the man's hand. They went to the register and paid, then walked down the dimly lit hall to the champagne rooms. She barely made eye contact with Vitor and winked. It happened so quickly, it was almost as if he had dreamed the wink. Had she really seen him? He waited patiently in his seat. Other dancers came and sat on his lap. He tipped them $20 for their time, but declined anything more. Fifteen minutes went by before she emerged. Vitor hadn't realized he had been taking such shallow breaths. Camilla ducked into the dressing room. He began sweating. She was coming for him after, right? That was what the wink had signaled? Moments later, he spotted her across the room. She wore a sheer lavender robe with feather trim around the edges and a pair of white patent and leather boots that ended a precious few inches below the feather trim. He knew the feel of her inner thighs, her velvety soft skin, a bit of moisture as he inched his way up. Camilla on standby? announced the DJ over the PA system. Camilla's eyes narrowed as she strode to the DJ booth. She hated when she was called on stage immediately after a champagne room. Vitor watched her sharp features contort in irritation. 
Vitor wished he could listen. A fly on the wall beside them. Her anger was an aphrodisiac. He was not a good man, and she knew precisely how to cut him down to the pathetic creature he was. She had that talent, seeing through people, an incisiveness. Vitor watched the DJ raise his hands. Fine, you win, in a gesture. Camilla si smiled broadly, revealing every one of her perfect teeth. She knew how to take up space. It was as if she could enliven every molecule around her. This was almost enough for him. In fact, it should have been enough for him, if he was a better man. But he was not a good man. Camilla turned sharply, owning in on him. Her gaze was almost too much. His eyes watered with effort not to blink, not to blink nor blush. He reminded himself to breathe and began counting the seconds between breaths to calm himself. His mouth was suddenly dry, terrible timing. Camilla began walking toward him. What a curse, getting what he wanted. Welcome back, she said, looking down as she arranged her purse on the table. Camilla draped herself across his lap like a bored deity. She laid a hand upon his chest, unbuttoning the top two buttons of his shirt and weaving her hand below the fabric against his hairy breast. Vitor moved his own hands away, afraid of accidental contact. He did not want to offend her. Thank you, he choked out. How have you been? she asked, surreptitiously glancing around the club. Oh, you know, same old, Vitor attempted casually. Ah, same old. She regarded him sideways as if reading a script tattooed across his face. That bad? Vitor blinked. What did she know? How could she know? His eyes watered and his throat tightened. Yes, he whispered. Don't worry, I know you. Camilla traced her index fingers across the lines in his forehead, spreading his skin, pulling away the tightness with a different kind of tightness. She rubbed her knuckles under his cheekbones and around the contour of his jaw. She scratched her nails across his scalp. He felt like a heart, every touch a string plucked, vibrating warm tones. In a lone tone, she'd asked, What would you like tonight? He didn't know the answer, or, well, he knew an answer, but since he wasn't, or since he wanted, what he wanted wasn't an offering on her menu. He had to settle for what he could get. An hour? And then a break. You can take a break if you need to. Perfect, she replied. She hates me so much, he thought. He could feel it in her frigid politeness, or maybe he was reading too much into it. She stood and held out her hand. He stood, too, gathering his jacket. Camilla picked up her purse and tucked her hand into his elbow crease. They walked together to the register. One hour in the boudoir, Camilla said, smiling at Vitor, as she communicated with the dance room bouncer. Six hundred dollars. Will that be cash or credit? The bouncer asked. Cash, Vitor replied. Vitor already had the money ready. He set it down on the counter. The bouncer marked each bill with a counterfeit detection marker and checked them under UV light. They were real, no doubt about that. 
If they were good enough for the bank, they were good enough for the strip club. Have fun, tip your lady, the bouncer said in a warning tone. Camilla flashed a brilliant smile at Vitor. Nothing made her smile more than money. They walked together to their favorite room upstairs, overlooking the club. Camilla slid shut the door and closed the sheer red curtains around them so they could see out, but nobody could see in. The boudoir room was a large private room with a daybed sizable enough to accommodate two people comfortably. There were pillows, a bar against the wall to hold on to for more adventurous dancers, a pole with a mini stage in one corner and a champagne bucket with a chilled bottle of champagne and two champagne flutes beside it. Vitor walked over to the champagne bottle and untwisted the metal ties. With a quiet pop, he opened it and poured them each a glass. Meanwhile, Camilla unzipped her long boots. Underneath, she wore long white stockings. She gingerly peeled down her stockings and folded them together. She set the stockings and her shoes to the side with her purse beside them. She sprawled languidly ac across the daybed. Vitor walked over to her and handed her a glass of champagne. To us, Camilla said, and clinked her glass against his. To us, Vitor replied, or repeated, unsure of what she meant. I love being here with you. The boudoir is our special place, Camilla said, gazing about the room. She crawled over to Vitor and sat in his lap. She reached down between his legs and felt for his familiar form. He was so nervous there was nothing to find, and yet she found him and rubbed between his legs as she sipped her champagne and continued talking to him. Champagne is always celebratory. When I drink it, I decide that I must be celebrating something. So what are we celebrating together, cariño? She asked. Um, I hadn't considered it that way. I have to think, Vitor replied. What is bringing you joy this week? It could be sim as simple as making coffee in the morning. Don't make it complicated, Camilla pressed. She continued running her fingers around the impression of his cock hidden in his pants. She fondled his head and stroked his shaft. She traced the outline of his balls. It was as much for him as it was for herself. She smiled coyly at him, hardly acknowledging what she was doing. She had him in the palm of her hand, quite literally. Vitor swallowed hard. If I had to pick, I would say, knowing I would see you today, he replied finally. Perfect, you're such a sweetheart, you know that, my precious V. Camilla downed the last of her champagne and reached behind her to set the glass on the side table. She turned back to him and took his glass. He had hardly touched his champagne, as was his custom, but she was correct. He had had all he had wanted. He, she gently pushed him back onto the daybed and began unbuttoning his shirt. Her body draped over his, her breasts dangling like ripe fruit. He fought against the desire to gather her supple flesh into his mouth. She pinned his arms down and pressed her vulva against his exposed stomach. He shut his eyes, sensing every curve of her slick opening against him. 
He felt a breast against his cheek. Then his face was between her breasts. If he died in that moment, he would have died a happy man. He felt her nipple brush against his lips. She held it there, teasing his lips apart. He swelled as he opened his mouth and sucked her hard, perfect nipple. He teased the apex, drawing circles around her areola with his tongue. He licked around her nipple and felt her grow wet as she sat straddled upon his stomach. She reached behind her, feeling for his cock, pushing against his restricting pants. She grabbed his shaft tightly and sat back up, looking down at him. She reached between her legs and slid a finger into her vulva and pulled it out. Her finger glistened in the dim light. She licked her juices from her fingers. Vitor tried to lean forward, but Camilla pushed him back down. She reached again inside of her and poked a finger into his mouth. He moaned. She tasted so good. He wanted to feel her on his lips. He wanted to lap up her essence, her fountain of youth, her joy. He wanted to slide his tongue around her clitoris and dip inside her. He wanted to wash himself clean within her. She turned around, away from him, and brought her beautiful topped bottom within inches of his face. She draped the back of her foot across his forehead, pinning him down. She knew he wouldn't be able to control himself, that close to everything he wanted. He could only lean back and accept her control. She draped her chest against his lower belly and focused on his erection. It was a marvel, the way it stood so perfectly pointed in his pants. She began unbuckling his belt. She pulled his belt out from under him without any trouble. He felt her fumbling with his buttons and finally unzipping his pants. She pushed his pants down, leaving nothing between them but his cotton boxer briefs. She laid her head against his right thigh, inches away from his penis as she continued fondling him. It was too much for Vitor. He felt pre-cum spouting from the head of his cock. He reached out and grabbed her ass. He pulled apart her cheeks. He spanked her gently at first, then harder. His hands began inching closer and closer to her glistening lips. He stopped himself. May I? He asked meekly. You may she replied. His cock leapt in excitement. Gently, he began tracing his fingers up and down her vulva. He drew circles around her clitoris. He played with different strokes to see how she would react. He tried slow, deep strokes, switched to rapid, shallow, lateral strokes, sensing her tense and pull away or open and sit back into him. The shorter rapid strokes got to her. He could hear Camilla's breath quicken. Just like that, she whispered, almost inaudibly. He focused all his effort to keep the rhythm, and his effort was rewarded. Her vulva dripped a precious bead of wetness onto his lips. He licked himself, clean. Camilla lifted herself and turned around again to face him. She separated her lips and sat on him, her lips on either side of the shaft of his cock. Even from within his boxers, he could feel how warm and moist she was around him. 
She rubbed herself back and forth, pressing against him. He grabbed for her thighs, wanting to hold on to her, wanting every inch of contact with her. She dragged her sharp nails across his chest, for a moment leaving red trails across his body. In that moment, he was scared. He couldn't come home with scratch marks across his chest, yet he wanted it more than anything. He wanted to come home with a memento of her carved into his body. And besides that, he deserved to be found out. How long could he keep this secret? He gazed upon Camilla, straddled atop him, backlit, a haloed glow around her dark curls. She pressed a hand against his chest for stability as she, ro as she rocked against him. Her breasts jiggled, her nipples still slick with his saliva. Sweat beaded on her forehead. Whether it was from exertion or arousal, he would never know. He began inching upward to sit. You should take a break, he offered. You're right. She smiled sweetly and lifted herself off of his lap. She sat beside him and reached for another glass of champagne. Shall we have another? She proposed. Of course. He hopped up to grab the bottle and poured them each a gl another glass. What do we celebrate now? She asked. I chose last time. It's your turn now, Vito replied. Hmm, fine, that's fair. Hmm. She looked up thoughtfully, then grinned mischievously. For pleasure and pain. Because neither could exist without the other, she declared. He didn't know what that meant exactly. Did she want him to hurt her, or did she want to hurt him? Camilla sipped her champagne ponderously, then sat up, and turned around. She knelt beside him facing the back of the couch and leaned forward so that she was bent over, still with the champagne glass in hand. She spread her knees apart. With her other hand, she reached for her ashed cheek and pulled them apart. I know what you want, she said slyly. You do. Vitor stood facing her. He caressed her thighs. He kissed her from her toes up the backs of her knees. He licked her cheeks, biting them gently. He worshipped every inch of her she would allow him to touch. He reached forward, cupping her breasts as he pressed himself against her, exposed flesh. He kissed between her shoulder blades. He inhaled the scent of her floral musk. Tell me how badly you want me, she whispered. You know... How badly I want you. He could hardly form the words. What would you give to lick my tight little asshole? He shuddered as the desire passed through his body. Anything, he gasped. What would you give? She turned her head to watch him. To see your cock slide inside my mouth. His cock dripped. He didn't know how much more of this he could take. What, what would you want? What would be enough? He asked, desperation seeping into his words. Some things are priceless, she replied, smirking. He didn't think he could get much harder. Unconsciously, he began playing with himself. He grabbed his dick with one hand as he plied her pussy with his other. He licked his thumb to taste her. His wet thumb. 
He wet his thumb and rubbed her opening. Camilla sipped her champagne as she looked back at him. Vitor wanted so badly to expose himself. He wanted to show her all that she had created. He held the base of his cock. Camilla raised an eyebrow amusedly. Use your words, she instructed. May I? He asked. You may, but you're not allowed to come on me, she, she stipulated. Vitor slid down his underwear and grabbed his cock. He began stroking himself, and as he stroked himself, he inserted a finger inside of Camilla. She exhaled. She was incredibly tight and moist. Her vulva squeezed around his fingers. His skin was saturated in her wetness. He thrust in and out of her slowly as he stimulated himself. I bet you would die if that was your cock inside of me, she teased. Vitor stroked faster. She was going there. It must kill you to know that you will never know how good this pussy feels because you're not good enough. Vitor moaned, forcing his fingers deeper inside of her. You're a pathetic married man who can't even get a blowjob. Vitor felt the pain slice through him, and yet somehow it was a blissful agony. Tears blossomed in his eyes. Look at how hard you are. You love torture. You know it's what you deserve. And I bet you would come if I told you to. I can already see it in your balls. You need to release. She baited. Vitor felt it too. His thighs quivered. His hand gripped his cock. He was panting on the edge of release. You're my little bitch boy. You wouldn't be able to re release like you do without me. Please, Vitor grunted. Pretty please, Camilla chided. Pretty please, Vitor gasped. Well, only if you can come in five. She paused. Four. Took a breath. Three. Turned around. Two. Spread her legs and faced him. One. A moan took over his body. He shook as he collapsed down onto his knees before her careful to aim away from her pristine skin. He was covered in a sheet of sweat. The orgasm rippled through him. He felt goosebumps prickle his flesh. He knelt in a puddle of his own cum. He bowed forward and rested his head between her legs. She massaged his scalp. Calma, mi amor. Estoy aquí. Calma. Camilla wiped the sweat and tears from his cheek. Vitor wept his cock pulsing between his bare legs. Nestled in her lap was the only place he felt capable of crying. All day he felt like a bottle of soda, shaken and shaken, building pressure, hissing around the cap. But Camilla knew how to gently coax him into release. She leaned over and licked his tears. He didn't know what he'd done to deserve something so beautiful. I love your tears. I could drink them all day, baby, Camilla murmured into his ear. Vitor tried to form words, but his throat closed, overcome with emotion. He felt utterly powerless, and yet buoyant. 
He had ceded it all to her, and yet as terrified as he was knowing how much control she had, he trusted her. Thank you, Diosa. Todo tuyo. He began lightly kissing her thighs. Yes, everything for me. She replied, leaning forward to grab his chin between her thumb and forefinger. She slid forward, spread her legs, revealing her puckering lips. Vitor kissed from her thighs down to her knees, around her calves, over the tops of her feet. He wanted to cover every centimeter of her body in kisses. He lifted her foot and flicked his tongue between her toes, beginning with her pinky toe. He sucked each toe, cleaning her feet, then presented himself on his hands and knees before her. Please, rest upon my back, Diosa. You must be so tired. I am quite tired, Vitor. Camilla lifted her feet and laid them upon his back. Vitor felt a swell of pride from his usefulness. Camilla sighed, stretching out. She found her champagne glass and took another sip. Is there anything else I can do to make you happier, Diosa? Vitor inquired. His arms trembled as he struggled to stay perfectly still and level. He would have stayed in place for hours if it had been what she wanted. Her smooth, perfect feet rested in the middle of his back. The pressure affirmed she was there. It was more intimate than anything he had known before meeting Camilla. Sex with nothing compared to being his goddess's stool. Well, there is one thing you can do for me. Kneel, she commanded. Vitor knelt between her legs and looked up at her voluptuous body. The way her hips creased, her pert nipples, the sheen of sweat on her brow. There's nothing more beautiful. Use your tongue to write me a love letter. Vitor's eyes widened. Camilla grabbed him by his hair and forced his face between her legs. Vitor's mouth opened. He stuck out his tongue, reaching as if for dear life. He had so many words, but found himself overwhelmed by her delicious taste. He felt intoxicated, as if he'd drank the entire bottle of champagne alone. He wanted to drink her. He began sucking at her lips, as if possessed. Camilla snapped her fingers beside his ears, startling him. He looked up, disoriented. Words, not sucking, don't act stupid, she chastised. Vitor began tracing the word sorry around her vulva. Better. Vitor began his love letter. He didn't know where to begin, until suddenly it poured out of him. A confession. You are my life, my breath, my meaning, my truth, my waking, my sleeping, my sun, my moon, mi diosa. I give you my body, my heart, my thoughts, my tears, my semen, my ecstasy. My pain, my joy, todo tuyo, mi amor. He wrote and wrote, his tongue ached, his jaw tightened and locked. It was agony. Camilla pressed himself, or Camilla pressed herself into his mouth. She wrapped her legs around his shoulders. She dug her nails into his scalp until suddenly she gasped. Her legs tightened around his neck, nearly strangling him. Her fingernails drew blood. Vitor couldn't breathe. He worried he might faint or worse, but 
He concentrated on stillness and absorbed her body wrapped around his. If he was to die, this was not the worst way. If he was to die, he hoped it would be in this way. Enveloped by his goddess, Camilla loosened her grip. Vitor could breathe. He wished for a moment that she had taken his life. But the thought passed as quickly as it had come. Kiss my nipples, Camilla demanded in a whisper. Vitor rose and kissed her perfect nipples. They pointed to meet his lips. Camilla moaned. Good job, Carino. A bouncer knocked at the door, startling the two. Their time was up. Got it. Be out in a minute. Camilla shouted to the bouncer. She stood and grabbed Vitor's shirt, patting her inner thighs dry. She handed the shirt back to him, then checked herself in her phone screen, reapplying her lipstick. Vitor took the shirt and put it on, slowly buttoning himself, catching whiffs of her scent on his back. She reached, or he reached into his pocket for his wallet and retrieved $1,000. Is that enough? he asked. Of course, darling, she said, winking at him. As quickly as she had veiled him under her spell, she lifted the curtain and snapped back. It was cold, but remarkable. And somehow, it made him love her more. And now for a quick commercial break. You're a serf, working your landlord's property, and you need some yard work done, but you're not going to be too picky about it because it's not even your home. I mean, what do you really expect, charging these kinds of rates for a two-bedroom? Anyway, we know the struggle. Whether you need some weekly grass trimming or a professional landscape architect, we can match you with a professional or amateur that will cater to your needs. We rate all of our providers on a scale from 1 to 10. The ones may or may not have a lawnmower. They may have a pair of scissors. They believe they are adept at wielding and the belief in their stick-to-itiveness to complete the task of individually trimming every blade of grass on your lawn. A two would know how to work your lawnmower if you happen to have one lying around. A three would have their own lawnmower handy and a pair of hedge clippers and so on. You get it, right? A 10 would own a proper company and have workers ready and willing to make your backyard look like, well, whatever nice backyards are supposed to look like. And like I said, I'm a serf working my landlord's property without a penny to my name. Anyway, call 1-800-LAWNBOY today and we'll send you a lawn boy professional your way. That's 1-800-LAWNBOY today. I want to shout out to Felix for coming up with this idea. Thank you uh, for helping me out. And this has been another episode of Ho and No. I am Selena the Stripper. You can follow me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can follow Ho and the No at Ho and the No on Instagram. Yeah, and it's just me. So, oh, my Patreon. If you want to read my stories, Diosa was one of the stories, actually both of the stories that I wrote, or that I blah, 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 read today, um, are on my Patreon along with a bunch of other exclusive stories. And you can find them at The Real Pretty Boy Girl. That is at the real pretty boy girl. So please subscribe, rate this thing, leave a comment. Comments are so important. Oh my God, you guys, you have no idea how important these comments are. And uh, have a wonderful quarantine, guys. Bye bye. More money, I want your money. I want more money. 